Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good morning uh, to you on uh, another wet Monday morning for us. And if you're dreaming of a white Christmas, and actually I've just uh, spotted our first opening song in a couple of minutes, is going to be Bing Crosby's White uh, Christmas. I can now tell you that those who are dreaming of a white Christmas, you can forget about it because it's going to be a damp one and it's also going to be a mild uh, one. That's what they're expecting for next week while the countdown to Christmas is underway. Met Aaron saying little chance of snow. Why? It is simply too mild. Like we've temperatures today of between 9 and 13 degrees. Tomorrow it's going to be between lows of 5, but it could go up as high as at 12 degrees. And in order to get snow, you have to have temperatures of 3 degrees and below. And there is no sign of anything like that. So we're not going to have a white Christmas. The last time, actually, according to Met Aaron, that we had fresh snow on Christmas Day was actually back in 2004 and of course we will remember 2018 because we did have a very long prolonged period of snowfall. Remember back in February when we had the beast from the east that cold spell lasted several, several days and then it was worsened of course because we had Storm Emma which triggered the red the status read weather alert and it ground the culture to a halt. Remember everybody was taking days off work. I remember on one occasion I made it to work. I walked and I was the only one out on the street the same morning and I was thinking am I absolutely nuts but I was glad till I made it into work. But that was earlier this year before that. The last big freeze that we had the last major one that really affected the country and it actually went on for about two months on and on and off and that was the Christmas of 2010 uh, and I certainly remember uh, that one that we had snow in many parts of the country actually had snow on uh, Christmas Day um, The but, but the good the good news for people who don't like snow is we're not going to get it, it go, we're not going to get it this year but I know for children they love the idea of sort of waking up to snow on uh, Christmas Day and you can get gorgeous photographs and all of that and it can be lovely and uh, pleasant but it also can have a huge huge uh, downside so it's rain is what we can expect and winds 
there's a lot of gale force winds being predicted because there's winds coming in from the Atlantic uh, coasts and uh, certainly that's not going to be great news for retailers because they had a bit of a washout at the weekend because of Storm Deirdre on Saturday I have to say I had great plans to get out and about and get the last of the Christmas shopping but I didn't move outside the door yesterday was a bit better but certainly Saturday was very much a, a washout and parts of West Cork were really affected by Storm Deirdre I know there was about 5,000 customers I think were without power in Glengariff, Clonakilty and Castletown Bear and once again we have to compliment and say well done to the ESB crews many of them all over the country were working overnight to ensure homes were reconnected with their power supplies and while we had the power outages in West Cork and there was some flooding on roads I remember at one stage a hearing of roads flooded in Tivoli in the lower Glanmire Road and uh, east into Cork around Castle Martyr there was some flooding but other parts of the country were much worse hit. Wexford for example the River Slaney broke its banks in several places with Waterford and Enniscorthy amongst the worst hit and while I was listening to sort of those reports and following it on social media I was thinking oh God in the run up to Christmas to have your house flooded has got to be the worst worst thing that can happen to you. Now coming up on the programme today firstly on some good news and this is happening right across this week Nathan Nathan Carter and Nathan Carter has a huge amount of fans uh, in Cork and I know a huge amount of fans who listen to us here at C103. He is playing live at the Marquee on Friday the 14th of June when we won't be thinking about snow and we will instead be hoping for long hot summer days tickets are on go on sale tomorrow at 9am but we are jumping the gun and we are giving tickets away in advance of those tickets going on sale and every hour or every day across this week we are giving away a pair of tickets to go along and see Nathan Carter live at the Marquee on Friday the 14th of June. I will play a little clip of Nathan Carter with a word missing. And you've got to try and work out what the word is. I'll tell you, I'll play it for you now, but don't do anything yet. Hold off, but let me give you your first listen. Listen very carefully to Nathan speaking. And there's a word bleeped out. She told me the story about uh, they, like many Irish families years ago, they had to emigrate to get out of the country. So they, they wanted to go to America to start a new life. Okay, I will play that again a little bit later on for you. And if you can work out the word that is bleeped out of that sentence from Nathan Carter and you are the correct caller, you could find yourself the proud owner of a pair of tickets live at the marquee before the tickets even go on sale. But we have a pair of tickets to give away every day this week. Nathan Carter live at the marquee on Friday the 14th of June. Certainly good news for Nathan Carter fans. Now on the programme this morning we are going to try to find out why disabled children are waiting up to two years for an assessment of needs. It's absolutely shocking and is there not a statutory obligation? Do they not put it into law that when a child was born and at a young age that they had to be assessed in in a, in a very short period of time? I mean we know and all the experts say it when a child has some kind of a disability, early intervention is absolutely vital. I mean, things like speech and language, you need to get in there as early as you can, working with the child, working with the toddler. And by doing that, you are getting in there, getting speech and you don't have follow-ons where you're waiting later and then it's too late when the child is older 
to start doing all of the work. You can do the work later, but it never has the same effect of when you get in there and get in there early. So we're going to be talking about that on the programme today. Bogus door-to-door charity collections going on in Cork. This is a follow-on to something we spoke about last week on the programme when we had the charity regulator who was joining us because we know how generous the Irish people are and at this time of the year I think people are more generous than ever We none of us like to think of somebody less well off at Christmas time so if you have an extra few Bob you know you usually are going to try and give it somewhere particularly in this the month of December so we had the charity regulator on, on giving us the do's and don'ts and how to make absolutely sure that who you are giving to is a genuine charity and that the money is going to a real cause and somebody really in need in the run up to Christmas. And then we heard about a group of, I think they were young teenage boys who were calling door to door in an area of Cork City, claiming to be from a group that works with children with autism, the Rainbow Club in uh, in Cork City. And it came to the organisers of this club that this door-to-door, are you doing door-to-door collections? And they're not doing door-to-door collections. So we've decided to bring them on the programme this morning. Just as a word of warning about that particular bogus collection. But also I think it's good to highlight it. So if somebody calls to your door, you it's unfortunately, we have to be on our guard all the time now, which really is uh, shameful. And just there's something galling, isn't there, about somebody that would go trying to scam money out of people and do it in the name of a charity. Something absolutely shocking uh, about that. We're also discussing why some families are opting to stay in emergency accommodation rather than take up private rented accommodation, you know, under the HAP scheme. A story that I find quite hard to understand because I would take it that any family who is in emergency accommodation, i.e. living in a hotel room or living in a bed and breakfast, that they would do anything to get out of that situation, particularly if they've got children. And, you know, I'm very conscious this year of the number of families that will wake up on Christmas morning in a hotel room. Now, in an ideal world, lovely to think for some people who don't like the idea of all the fuss around Christmas and you check into a nice hotel. Imagine going into a nice five-star hotel and being pampered for a few days. That's lovely. But that's unfortunately not, not, that's not what's happening with families who are forced to live in a hotel. When you go and stay in a hotel for a weekend or maybe for a week's holidays or whatever. It's lovely and you, and you really enjoy it. But I, of late, certainly the last year, whenever I have been away and uh, staying in a hotel, I, I always spend, I, it always runs through my head. Imagine if I had to live here, if I had to use that wardrobe, could be my only wardrobe, those little lockers that I have to put everything into. You have no cooking facilities. And imagine trying to do that with children and with young children. It's an absolute nightmare. So I can't understand how anyone would deliberately opt to do that over going out and banging on every door to try and get private rented accommodation. A stunning book of photography on uh, the Beira Peninsula. We're going to chat with the photographer behind this book, which is simply entitled Beira. I always feel when I have photography books, I have no ambition at all to work in TV. But when I have books like this, I always think, oh God, I wish I was on TV. And I could hold up the book and go, oh, look at this picture. Isn't this one absolutely amazing? This is a really, really special book. If you're from Beira, 
Vera, you'll absolutely love this book. But anyone like myself that has a deep, deep passion for the area, I remember the first time I was ever on the Bearer Peninsula and it just took my breath away. And I think every time since, whenever I visit, whenever I get the time to drive down along the Bearer Peninsula, it's just the ruggedness of the beauty. I think, you know, it is one, uh, it is a part of the country. I think it's the real hidden gem. And while they do get an amount of tourists, they don't get, I think, as many tourists as they deserve. I've I've always wondered about that, why this place isn't just flooded with, with tourists, because it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And this book captures the beauty of the Barrier Peninsula. So we're only too glad uh, to talk about it today. Actually, now that I mentioned photography... There was a picture that made me smile this morning. It's on the back page of the Examiner newspaper. If you're heading out today um, and, and you're buying the paper, look at the back page of the of the Examiner. It is uh, the wonderful Dan Lenahan, who always seems to capture gorgeous photographs. And it's an aerial photograph of Anthony and Kay Caplice carrying a tree that they have cut for sale in the Christmas tree farm in Skihina Rinka um, outside of Care, And it's just an amazing photograph. It's an air shot. It really is uh, quite stunning. And obviously Christmas tree farms, very, very busy at the moment. And when you're buying your Christmas tree, make sure that you buy a local tree. So well done. That's a stunning photograph from Dan Lenahan in today's Examiner. And it is Monday. So Annelise Dressel, our nutritional therapist, will be joining us later on in the programme offering nutritional advice. As always, your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. John Paul is on a long weekend, not with us today. So Bernie is taking your calls. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp your comments to 0862-103-103. And as promised, if you're dreaming of this, you're not going to get it. Merry and 
Merry Christmas, everyone. That's Bing Crosby and the wonderful White Christmas. I've just had a text in from a listener to say there are two horses running loose on the road by Townview in Mallow. So please be extremely careful if you are driving in that area because, my God, horses loose on a road can and have caused very, very serious uh, accidents in the past. So please be careful. If anybody knows the owner of those two horses running loose on the road by Townview in Mallow, can we organise, please, to get them off the road and back into the field that they came out of? And actually, just stay on animals for a minute because this kind of pulled at the heartstrings when I saw this. Good morning. My name is Clarissa. And yesterday, my 11-month-old pug went missing in the Mitchellstown area. I was wondering, would you be able to put an announcement out over the air, please, to see if anybody has seen him? He's fawn-coloured with a little black face. Very friendly little dog. He is microchipped. He is neutered. He is wearing a black collar with a name tag on it, which has my mobile number on it if anybody comes across him. He's a house dog dog and he's not used to being outside especially overnight oh bless and it was kind of not the best night hopefully somebody picked up that little dog and has taken him indoors maybe they has the name tag with the number on it fallen off or maybe they don't realise whoever's taken him in that there is Clarissa's number is actually on it and we have Clarissa's mobile number now with us here so if anybody has spotted 11 month old pug in the Mitchellstown area fawn with a little black face. Can you give us a call please and we can pass you on Clarissa's number. It would be lovely to get that little dog back uh, safe and uh, sound. And the Castle Marcher Residence Association have asked us to mention that there is an emergency meeting to be held in Castle Magna Community Hall tonight 7pm in relation to estate safety public lighting and other issues concerning all residents in Castle Marcher. Local councillors will be in attendance and the organisers are hoping for a huge turnout as issues arising recently need to be uh, addressed and that's from the Castle Magner Residents Association that meeting tonight in the Community Hall at 7pm. And just one final text that's, that's just signed, an annoyed bus driver. At 7.30am a traffic van was parked on the road at the traffic lights east of Lep Village in West Cork. I have no problem with speed checks at roadworks but it obstructed the view of traffic coming from the other direction that came from pri- private houses not controlled by lights forcing me in a bus to reverse to allow two cars through. Luckily for me, the car behind hadn't pulled right up behind my bumper or a roadblock would have resulted. Surely better communication with the signage operator could be expected. Signed, an annoyed bus driver. And well done for you spotting it in time and that you were able uh, to reverse back out. And that happened in LEP this morning at 7.30. Bernie's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now, West Cork, Fianna Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony has said the wait times for assessments of need for children with disabilities in Cork and Kerry are now close to two years on average. Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony joins me. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, are you shocked by these waiting times? I'm very shocked, Patricia. Um, even though I'm not surprised because this has been going on since I took off my post. So I have been 
aware of it. But what I am deeply shocked at is that the government don't seem to be doing anything about it. So just to give a bit of background, under the Disability Act 2005, an assessment of need has to be commenced within three months of application and completed within another three months. So that's six months from commencement. Unfortunately, as you said in Cork, the average waiting time for an assessment of need is now two years. So this is scandalous, Patricia, and flies in the face of what legislation states should be happening. Early but does, the, but does, that, does that basically mean the legislation isn't worth the paper it's written on? Unfortunately, it seems to be. It seems to be. And as you said at the start of your programme there, early intervention for young people who have a disability is vital. Like countless research shows that a child's best chance to lead independent and full lives is very dependent on early intervention. And the failure to get these assessments of needs completed on time is undermining the whole early intervention strategy. So accessing an assessment of need is not a luxury for children. It is what I call a passport to get treatments and services and supports they need to have the best quality of life. And without an assessment of need, children with disabilities cannot access services such as speech and language or indeed, which is very serious, obtain SNA support while in school. So now, while the parents school, know there's something wrong with their child, they know their child needs help, they may even be able to give you the diagnosis themselves. Yes, You're saying that until they get the piece of paper that says this is what is wrong with your child, this is what the child needs, they get nothing. They get nothing. And what is very worrying as well, people who are lucky enough to be able to go privately for an assessment, a lot of schools will not accept a private diagnosis. Have you any understanding of why that happens? Because over the years, I would have heard from parents who were so desperate, they went private, particularly children on the autism spectrum. They got their assessment done privately and then they went to the school thinking that all the services would be put in place to be told the school wouldn't recognise the private assessment. Why does that happen? Some of the schools seem to be coming from a fairness point of view, that it should be a level playing field, that if you can afford or you can't afford a private assessment shouldn't really matter. So it it is, uh, I suppose it is hard on schools as well. But the the whole situation, Patricia, like is, is very worrying. And um, in Cork at the moment, there are well over a thousand children waiting for the stage two of the assessment. Now, what's that? Thousand. What stage two? Stage two would be uh, your second part. So the commencement is three months. That's stage one, and then the finishing off of it is second three months. That's stage two. Now, approximately a thousand of these cases have been referred for an autism spectrum disorder assessment under this the assessment of of needs. And then what is worrying again, Patricia, is that so you have what I call your passport and particularly if it is recommended that a child needs speech and language therapy, they and their parents then face a further long, long list. In Cork, there are now over a thousand children waiting for initial speech and language therapy and over 2,000 waiting for further therapy. So, so you, so you, so so what you are you saying is you you finally get your assessment, and then you're told yes your child needs speech and language. You're then on another list. Yes, yes. Oh, God. 
So it is very serious. And I think a lot of it is down to the recruitment and indeed retention of therapists and professionals. And in a lot of places, maternity leave, sick leave, holidays aren't being covered. So that further blocks it up. So it is essential that more therapists and more professionals are hired and that the recruitment and retention crisis is solved. And is that up to the government, do you believe, or is that up to the HSC? I believe it's up to the government. I think the book does stop with them. And they are the bosses. So in my opinion, the book does stop with the government. Okay. And are you hearing from, are parents contacting you? I mean, what kind of disabilities are, are some of the, do some of these children have? And you, we mentioned autism. I mean, what, what else are you hearing from parents? Uh, I suppose obviously people from West Cork are on to me because I'm their TD, but because of my position as spokesperson for disability, I'm getting calls from all over the country and parents are at their wits end. Now, autism does seem to be the most prevalent at the moment, but you'd also have slight physical disabilities. I suppose with a physical disability, it's often more obvious. So it's... um, you know, a different way of coping with it. Whereas with the autism spectrum, like the assessment really is needed. And behind all these figures of children are families who do not know what's happening and are in limbo. And it's it's very, very hard on them to try and carry on with, with their lives and not knowing what's ahead or what's happening or what they can do. And and we know, because we featured it here on the programme, the waiting list for scoliosis surgery or, or yes. orthopaedic surgery for children and, yeah. and, and children in absolute agony waiting. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, that the government really need to address the whole lot of the health challenges in this country in the coming year. And ministers cannot any longer act like commentators or bystanders in the health service. And they really must get stuck in and take responsibility, and I think this would be a good start. And it doesn't appear to be money is the issue, because they, they throw money at the they HSA. They throw money, yes, you are correct in that. I do think it's down to the recruitment and the retention. You'd see a lot of posts advertised that are not being picked up on, so obviously working conditions may not be what they are maybe in England. So that is something that really needs to be looked at. And money doesn't solve everything. Well, is that is that up to the individual providers then, if, you, if you're saying that stress levels at work? I mean, because uh, I know in, I saw in your press statement, you quoted the Brothers of Charity, you, you, you quoted COPE for waiting times and St. Joseph's Foundation uh, in North Cork. I mean, is that up to the providers? Do they need to make the place better working conditions for their therapists? No. No, I think, and just before I move on, I just want to acknowledge the fantastic work that those three organisations do. And I think we all know someone who is a service user with them. And I just really, really want to praise the work that they do in, in helping the people of Cork. Again, I think it comes back to the government. They just need to make you know, recruitment and retention a, a priority. The book does stop with them. Okay. All right. Uh, we leave it there, Margaret. Listen, thank you for that. Thank and you, uh, thanks happy for Christmas. And happy Bye. Christmas to you as well. Thank you. Bye. That is Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy in uh, West Cork, Margaret Murphy O'Mahony, on those waiting times just for assessment of needs. And then once the needs are 
identified further waiting times. It's just the speech and language ones really. It's just shocking and shouldn't be happening. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. I've been asked to announce, please, that bingo is on in the GAA Hall in Butterfield tonight at half past eight. Last chance before Christmas to win a massive jackpot of €4,000. Uh, in-house lotto, 50-50 draw, plus free draw for lots of lovely prizes. Usual bosses and all are welcome. That is bingo. Butterfant GA Hall tonight. Mary in Kiss Game was on to Bernie to say that she would like to say well done to Enable Ireland. They have been great to her granddaughter. Her granddaughter was launching the Hang a Bauble in the Homestead store in Grand Parade. The idea is you go into HomeSense and you buy a bauble for a euro and all the proceeds going to uh, Enable Ireland. And Mary said there was a lovely photo of her granddaughter in the examiner last Friday. Now I don't have your granddaughter's name but I can sense and see how proud you are Mary thank you for that and that sounds like a lovely fundraising idea that's going on in Home Sense in the Grand Parade and Enable Ireland doing absolutely fantastic work and someone was on was it the Lenahan family thank you for a lovely WhatsApp to say that they had a wonderful night in at the Panto last Wednesday night was it Wednesday or Thursday night when we sent people off to the pantomime but they really enjoyed it and it, it was lovely that's Cinderella which is running at the Everyman right up to Christmas and then of course they'll take a bit of a break they're not off for very long over Christmas because of course it is a Christmas uh, tradition and then it's on again in the new year and actually Catherine the wonderful producer director who's been uh, producing the pantomime at the Everyman's her 25th year is going to be joining us on Thursday of this week when we are taking the programme out of the studio and we will be heading up to our special studio with Glow on the Grand Parade and it's we had it last year as well and it's a great bit of fun and a kind of a nice little festive show actually the two uh, bishops have agreed to join us Bishop uh, Buckley and Bishop Paul Colton they'll both be in the studio together just talking about Christmas past and what Christmas means to them and how they're going to celebrate Christmas this year so we're looking forward to that on Thursday but we're also going be talking about the pantomime and the pantomime in the Everyman which is the absolutely stunning Cinderella. Now I um, was uh, thought we'd get some commentary in on this and I can already see some some of your thoughts coming in and I really am welcoming your thoughts on the story that's coming out of Roscommon. Let me tell you the story first before I uh, bring you some of the texts that are coming in to us. The Guardian are involved in this because they've launched uh, an investigation into a dissident link to a violent incident that happened in a house in County Roscommon and it was the, the story started to unfold yesterday morning when we heard about this violent incident in this house and it was one of those stories you thought oh my god what's happening here are we going back to the days of um, troubles in the north particularly when you hear that there was a dissident link to the violence but then as the story subsequently got more media attention it seems the house that was targeted was at the centre of what can only be described as a very heavy handed eviction which took place on Tuesday of last week. So yesterday morning a group of it depends on what news article you're reading but they're saying more than 20 men 
raided this property in Strokestown in County Roscommon. They were armed with baseball bats. They targeted security staff who had been hired to guard the farm and the house that the land, the, the house, uh, the, the farm, the, it's, it's a house and there's some farmland uh, attached to it. Eight security workers were injured. Three of them ended up in hospital and a security dog that was with them ended up have, having to be put down by the vet. There was also four vehicles belonging to these security men that were burnt out. Now the Roscommon TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, who I'm sure we've spoken with before on the programme. He uh, came straight out, condemned the violence, but he was also critical of the very ugly eviction that took place on this property last Tuesday. And he said in rural Ireland, people are simply getting frustrated at the scale of the evictions and they have reached breaking point. A senior source said that the pre-dawn attack yesterday morning was being treated very seriously and uh, others were ongoing to try to identify those involved. The farmer, by the way, at the centre of the eviction is not suspected of any wrongdoing in relation to the violent incident in his uh, former home. But this Roscommon-based TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, you know, went on to say, look, violence isn't going to sort anything. But he does make the point that I think a lot of people are going to agree with. The banks must find an alternative means to handle rent arrears. He wasn't in any way condoning the violence, but he says the ugly scenes that happened in Strokestown last Tuesday, which is exactly two weeks before Christmas, sparked a great deal of anger from local residents. He said a lot of people in rural Ireland have had enough of evictions, they've had enough of these vulture funds and they won't stand idly by and watch families, in many cases their own, their own local people, they won't watch them being kicked out of their homes. He says if you look at the history of Ireland, the issue around land and property runs very, very deep, especially in rural Ireland, which is something not everyone understands. He says people are just frustrated. They're at their wit's end. And he actually warned a year ago the mass evictions would lead to this type of incidents. And he fears that this is only the beginning of it. So I think it could have been last year was actually when we spoke to him when when Mars Fitzgerald came out and said, we're going to have violence. We're going to have... Now, luckily, nobody was killed in this incident. But you would just fear because the level of anger when this um, group of 20 you're assuming local people decided to retaliate, they decided to do something because they were so upset and so angered by seeing these elderly local men evicted from their property. And I don't know if many people may have seen there was a video doing the rounds over the weekend of the eviction from last uh, Tuesday. And these, you know, men were literally dragged out of their house and, and, and literally thrown off the property. I then found out there's also a, a sister lives with these two bachelor brothers. And when she came back, she luckily wasn't there when the security arrived about 20 or 30 security people arrived all dressed in black they were from they were well they were driving Northern Ireland vehicles uh, and they arrived onto the property and, and removed the I mean I'm, I'm assuming they broke in the door I don't know if the door if the, the, the two brothers just left them into the house but they certainly were manhandled off the uh, property Paul Williams writing the, in the Irish Independent today 
says eviction at the hands of the wealthy landlords are now in more modern times the impersonal banks arouses a revulsion in the collective Irish psyche and he reckons this can be traced back to the famine. Strokestown itself was the scene of massive evictions around the time of the famine. It's estimated that three Thousand tenants were evicted from the Strokestown estate between nineteen er, between eighteen forty one and eighteen sixty one. So it's in an area where they obviously speak about the famine, and there is actually Bernie was saying she's been to Strokestown, and there's actually a famine museum up there. So it's very much in the psyche of the local people. So you can understand why. And as is, and I would be backing up what Morris. Fitzmaurison, it wouldn't be condoning violence in any way. But I can understand why local people got so angry about what happened. And just before Christmas, I mean, what are these banks uh, thinking on uh, of? And I mean, are we back to these? It's the vulture funds. They, you know, they don't see any backstory. They don't get to hear that here we had, you know, elderly farmers. OK, I accept they got into difficulty and they owe the money back. But the, these are a family that have lived, I think, for four generations on this farmland. I mean, even if the farm, and you know, have repossession of the little farmhouse and the land, try selling that locally. I don't know if anyone would buy that land. And if they did buy that land and that, that house, would they be accepted by the local people? What kind of a life would you have? I mean, would you consider buying a property if you knew the backstory about what had happened um, uh, if you knew the backstory of um, what had happened to the person you know would you actually buy a property like that okay already gets getting some calls in from people somebody says the, the Brits are here again in Roscommon to hound people out of their homes like they did in the north and, and I think the comment there about the Brits is the fact if you saw the little video clip of the two men being evicted from the property Somebody who's recording the video, another gentleman standing there who was trying to stop the eviction, said to this one of the security men who were all dressed in black, you know, how can you do that? What are you doing to, you know, the, to, to your own country people? You know, as an Irishman, how can you be proud of what you're doing? And this security man said, I'm not Irish. And the guy says, what do you mean you're not Irish? And he said, I'm British. And he was a guy from Northern Ireland. And that obviously really annoyed the man who was trying to stop what was happening happen. And I think certainly when I saw that on up on social media over the weekend a lot of people were picking up and commenting on that as well. Someone else by Texas Hi Patricia just to mention about the awful case in Roscommon where they evicted those poor people from their home in the days before Christmas It's terrible, you wouldn't do it to an animal Here we go, it's the banks again Here we are bringing aid to foreign countries and treating our own like dirt. This is Ireland I hope all these people involved get looked after themselves I hope all of those people involved can look at themselves in the mirror and they have to face themselves for the rest of their life what they did to one of their own or two of their own. The guards closing the roads without authority from the council. Once again, they seem to be a law unto themselves. Maris McCabe did his best, but I guess this rot is still there and will be there for a long time. All right, that's a criticism of the guards because there was members of the guards she called out the eviction, but they couldn't do anything. But in the defence of the guards, there was no laws being broken the security guys that arrived, they were there at the behest of the bank and they had all of the paperwork done. They were in the right 
for the banks to do what they did and the security guys were as you know would say we're only here to do a job so the Gardaí can't do anything until a law is broken and unfortunately I know people would say the guards and I know the guards came in for stick for saying that they should stick up for their own but they can't they can't just move in and and decide to to do something when no laws has been broken regardless of how we feel about it and as I say it just goes deep into our psyche to see whenever we see anyone being evicted, you know, and can we trace it back to the famine times? I, I believe we can. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking the course. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103.
That's John Lennon on C103 and uh, Happy Christmas. 1850, well, I'm finishing out 1850, Don't forget, all across this week, we are giving away Nathan Carter tickets. Nathan will play live at the Marquee on Friday the 14th of June and we have a pair of tickets to give away every day this week, including today, which is a day ahead of the tickets going on sale. They go on sale tomorrow morning at 9am. See ticketmaster.ie for more, but you will have a chance to win a pair today. Now, we're not doing it until the next hour, but I'm just going to play the clip again so that you have another chance to listen to it. What we are doing is every day this week we play a clip of Nathan in an interview where a word is missing and you have to work out what the word is. Okay, this is today's. You just don't don't call us or text us yet but this is today's. This is the one you're going to be trying to work out. She told me the story about they, like many Irish families years ago, they had to emigrate to get out of the country so they, they wanted to go to America to start a new life. Okay, you've got to try and work out what the missing word is and I'll give you details of how and when in the next hour. So hold off, 1850-333-103. Now a lot of text calls and comments coming in with regard to what happened in Roscommon with a very violent incident at the house uh, yesterday morning. And as uh, we subsequently found out, the reason for it was there had been what has been described as a heavy-handed eviction that took place last last uh, Tuesday. Okay, some of your calls coming in on this. PJ in Rathcool was watching the eviction on YouTube uh, last night. He says security staff, by law, have to have armbands with their security qualification displayed. He said not one of them, and he was really watching the video closely, not one of them had these ID badges on them. So he says a Belgian bank operating in Ireland hired them to act illegally. And at at one point in the video, according to PJ, a guard that can be heard saying he would not go on to private property to uh, support them. Now I did check because there's a lot of criticism of the Gardaí, the fact that the Gardaí were outside the gate you can clearly see members of Angarda Shikona uh, standing there. And it seems the local Gardaí were present to preserve the peace. That's the reason that the Gardaí were pres- present. But there was criticism and I know that the people who were there trying to stop these two men being evicted from their family home were saying to the Gardaí, how can you allow this to happen? Are you not going to do anything about it? And the Gardaí were basically saying there isn't anything we can uh, do. So that that's what they were there for. They were there to preserve the peace. Some more of your thoughts coming in by uh, text. Uh, Patricia, think I, this is a listener saying, Patricia, I feel the guards did break the law by closing roads without permission from the councillor. Are they special? Now, I don't know. I would have to check. Are Gardaí allowed to close roads? Roads? Do they have powers to do that? I don't know. Do they always have to have permission from uh, the council? I don't, you know, if the Gardaí would know the law better than you or I would. So I, I assume if they closed the road, they knew what they were doing or they had the right uh, to do it. Anyway, the texter says the guards are well able to enter private property. Should it, wouldn't they do it if there was a family dispute going on? It states on the internet that the 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 Roscommon eviction was aided and abetted by the guards. Why didn't they come to protect our Irish citizens who were being evicted? I guess they would have done it if it was one of their own uh, family, says uh, a texter who is rather annoyed with the Garda handling of the actual original eviction. Someone else says, uh, Patricia... Banks can sell a mortgage to vulture funds and at times they can sell it for a maximum of 20% 
of the value of the debt. Why they won't, why won't they do that and sell it on to the holder of the debt? And then instead they send in these thugs to do the eviction. Any right thinking person would uh, abhor this behaviour. Someone else says, Patricia, can you blame the people of Roscommon? What happened yesterday morning, these were the group that went in and took over the house again and ran the security people out of it. More people should fight the landlords. The government have to do something. Bet all the TDs won't be homeless for Christmas. And actually, somebody else is raising an interesting point about, isn't it very clear that the financial institution responsible for the eviction must have feared trouble? Uh, Otherwise, why do they have eight security personnel guarding the property? They must have known that the feeling locally was going to be very heightened by the eviction of this family who have been in the area. I think it's four generations have lived in that house and on that land. So they must have sensed that this eviction wasn't going to go down too well. And somebody's saying, is that the, it, that has to be the reason that they put in eight security personnel? Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you uh, on that. Dan says, Patricia, we must remember that banks dumped 64 billion euro on us on the direction of our EU pals. We should be very, very wary of the Brexit implications, remembering that the UK were first to our rescue at the crash with €7 billion, uh, says uh, Dan. And says, Patricia, will the courts evict Shawnee Fitzpatrick from his mansion? God, what he has done to this country. It turns my stomach to think he isn't in jail and he's living on a big, fat banker's pension. How many more bankers and developers are living on big pensions? One rule for the rich and one rule for the poor in this country, that's for sure. What's happening in the Ireland of today, 2018, is beyond shameful. All who fought for 1916, including Michael Collins, they must be turning in their grave, says uh, Anne. Okay, and a couple of WhatsApps in on this. Patricia, I heard that one of the elderly residents of that house was the next Garda and allegedly was kicked on the ground by the heavy-handed enforcers and all of this has been watched by members of Angarda Siakana. Surely that's an assault and an assault charge should follow. It looks like there will be nothing done about it and it is time for legislation to stop these eviction by the vulture funds. I did read that the Garda, while they said they were there at the eviction to preserve the peace. They had no role in the eviction, but they were there to preserve the peace. They, a, spokesper- a spokeswoman for the Guardian in Moscow did confirm the two, what they describe as minor incidents, were reported and they're currently under investigation. So whether that's one of the minor incidents, I don't know, but they're currently under investigation. If any more breaks on that, we will bring it uh, to you. But I one. 100% agree with you that there's something has to be done, some legislation and that goes to to our legislature. Something needs to be done. We need to stop these uh, evictions by the vulture funds because we're going to see unfortunately more of them rather than less and if what happened in Roscommon is replicated around the country, you know this is going to be going on uh, whole scale. Heidi says, Patricia, what the banks forget is that we the taxpayer bailed them out and not so very long ago and then they come in with these bully boy tactics. Uh, they should try to get agreement on paying rent and not doing it this way. Yeah, we're back again to that. They need to find, the banks need to come up with some other type of a solution. Definitely evicting in this manner 
certainly is not going to work. And a final one of this, uh, Michael says, Hi Patricia, Pretty Patel, that's the ME, the English MP that we were only talking about, was it this day last week? It was because it was the previous weekend she came out uh, saying that we'd all be starving in Ireland because there'd be food shortages post-Brexit. Anyway, um, Michael says, Pretty Patel might not be far off the mark when she said we should threaten the Irish with food shortages. Is there a move at foot to evict innocent people off the land in houses and let them starve on the side of the roads? Who controls the banks but the Rothschilds? Who are the Rothschilds? They have an association with the British. We need to keep a very close eye on Strokestown as there are many, many more to follow. If we don't have a Brexit deal with the UK they will be very short of everything again, like the days of old, says uh, Michael in Castletown Bear, who's linking the eviction and will Brexit make the whole thing uh, worse? Only time will tell. Anyway, your thoughts and comments welcomed 1850 at 333103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. West Cork uh, breakers are looking for an office worker. Experience is essential with bookkeeping knowledge, please. Amazonas in Kinsale are looking for an experienced hairstylist. It does come with an immediate start. And Burnford National School, they're looking for a school cleaner. You'll need to work 14 hours a week after school hours. You'll find all the details on more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Now, according to a report from Focus Ireland, some families are choosing to stay in emergency accommodation rather than trying to find a rented home. To explain more, I'm joined by Ger Spillan, who is the manager with uh, Focus in Cork. Good morning to you, Ger. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Is, is this down to families holding out for a council house, thinking if I stay in emergency accommodation, I have a better chance of getting a council house? Yeah, I suppose just on the outset to say that that report was in the Daily Mail and it was totally incorrect. That's ah. not what that's not what we're saying. Uh, what we're saying is that families are in emergency hotel and bed and breakfast and other types of emergency accommodation simply because they can't uh, find private rented accommodation or have properties within their price range that allows them to exit emergency accommodation. Um, so, in a recent survey, we f- we found that ninety four percent of properties that uh, were available were outside that were not eligible for, for HAP. Um, why why were look, they not eligible for HAP? Well, a lot of the proper... Well, I, I'll just give you an example. I mean, we are, as you know, and we spoke about this before, in the middle of a housing crisis. Um, there is no new properties coming onto the market. Um, there's not much in terms of private developments. Um, so just to give you an example, uh, I viewed a property about six, six, seven weeks ago in Cork City and the landlord who was open to, to having a half tenant in there was looking for €1,900 Euros a month for that property. Um, now, the, the most, you know, the half payment is around 950 per month. Um, you may get a discretionary payment that would bring it up another couple of hundred euro, but you're looking at at least a, a, at the very best you're looking at a deficit of nine of eight hundred euros a month, which the tenant has to has to cover if they if they choose to take that property. And the problem with that is, like under the old rent allowance system, you weren't allowed to top up, but under HAP you are as a tenant. And um, 
what we're finding when people take properties that are considerably above the HAP rates, uh, we're finding that what happens then is you're heading into a new type of poverty, which is um, food property, nutrition or food poverty. Um, it affects uh, the nutrition of children and of the family generally. Health poverty because they can't afford to go to doctors or and and other situations like that. And anecdotally, uh, Ger, we would hear from some. Uh, people trying to rent who say landlords are not interested in HAP and as soon as they mention HAP they they don't even want to show them around. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about it is it's, you're, 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 we're, as I've said, uh, we are in the middle of a housing crisis. There are there are properties uh, that when they become available to rent in Cork City and County, um, there is numerous uh, numbers of people turning up to view these properties. And um, I suppose like the, the, the HAP in itself can be um, a, a, a laborious process to go through in, in, in terms of getting the, the payment up and running. So if you have a choice between a, a HAP, somebody who's, who has, who's on HAP, or somebody who's cash in hand, um, the landlord is likely to take the person with, with the cash in hand. The, the, the overriding problem is that the go- government and, and numerous governments have used so, uh, private property to provide social housing. Um, that's relatively okay if, 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 uh, if, there, if supply meets demand but at the moment supply isn't meeting demand so there's huge com- competition for, for properties in, in the city and in the county. Is this a situation Ger, that's going to get worse before it gets better do you think? Oh absolutely because I mean depending on the, on the various economic uh, you know organisations or econ- economists you hear uh, in order to stand still the government needs to be producing or we as a, as a society we need to be producing 25,000 units of accommodation a year and we're nor we're nowhere near that and we're now heading where we have now moved away or I mean what you would consider the stereotypical homeless person is still there but you're talking about the working poor now and I suppose in connection with the families what we have now we currently have 4,000 uh, children in in homeless emergency accommodation throughout the country um, and what we're doing, I think, is is we are uh, creating um, an even bigger problem for us in years to come because, you know, true research and both uh, national research conducted in Ireland and international research, uh, the majority of people who end up in, in emergency homeless uh, accommodation, their homeless pathway started when they were children. And, you know, if you have children who are currently being born or living in emergency accommodation, they are going to be, or potentially, maybe the um, the homeless homeless of the future. And what Focus Ireland do, what other organisations want to do, is we want to prevent this from from happening. God, that's such a sad thing to think about, isn't it? That cycle. It's it's it's, it's that cycle yeah. of poverty and, um, and and living. You know, and I, I keep I've mentioned it. I think nearly every day for the last couple of weeks, I keep thinking of families, Ger, and what Christmas is going to be like yeah. if you're in a hotel room with children. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... it's uh, and I suppose the, the most... Uh, you know, it, it affects children because uh, they have to... Because, you know, they're, like, living in a hotel room is kind of like... It's, it's almost tenement living because you're, you have a family in one room 
Um, their children are trying to do their homework within that room. Um, they're and in, in some cases, we hear that children are being excluded from birthday parties and stuff like that because, you know, while they get invited, they can't invite back because of the accommodation in which they're living in. So there's a bit of a social stigma or social isolation being caused by it. Um, our biggest problem at the moment is that, you know, children are, are children that we work with are, are asking us, um, will Santi know where I am oh. in order to deliver the presents? And of course, you know, Santi being the man he is, um, of course he knows where they are, but we have to reassure children. And I don't think that, um, you know, children um, should have to be worrying about, about that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, they have other, you know, they, they have other things that, that, that should be occupying their mind. He, you know, developing themselves, going to school, having what we would all probably would consider a normal life. And if you're wondering, you know, does Santi know where I am? Or where am I going to be tomorrow night? And you're looking at your parents stressed because they're also concerned about that too. I mean, that's that's just, it's no way for a child in Irish society to be brought up now. And, and though, unfortunately, and there's, there's 4,000 children in that situation. And those parents then going to great lengths to try to access private oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we conducted research recently. Um, you know, it was it was commissioned by Focus Ireland, but it was done by, by UCC. And one of the, the highlights of the research, and it was around, you know, young parents and with, with children. And one of the highlights of the research was that the decisions that these parents make, and it kind of contradicts the kind of right-wing view that's out there in terms of homeless people or people gaming the system or people staying in emergency. I mean, I don't know anybody, hand in heart, I don't know any family or any person that wants to stay in emergency accommodation. They would prefer their own home. And what we have, and the most, out of the research, the thing that came across, that the decisions that the parents make are based on what is the well-being of their children, which, you know, they put their, their children and their children's well-being front and centre. And, I mean, what we're finding as well is that, you know, that, that um, children have long trips to go to school. Uh, there is poor nutrition, as I said, because there's no cooking facilities in, in emergency. Yeah, they're living. I, I, I saw a guy on, on the yeah. TV talking about it um, mm. on, on, on some news programme. They're living on, on takeaways like McDonald's and burgers yeah. and pizzas. And, and then if you stop and think about it, what else can they do? They can't cook a nutritious meal in a hotel room. No, they can't cook a nutrition meal in, in, in a hotel room. Um, in a lot, in some cases, they're asked to leave, you know, early in the morning before clients come down for, or before guests come down for their breakfast. Uh, and there's a real kind of social stigma being attached to it. And, and you know, ch- children experience all this. They're like sponges, you know, they, they'll take all this stuff in and this will affect their their decision making and, you know, it will affect them uh, as adults, as as research has proved. And families that are living in emergency accommodation, are they prioritised when it comes to being allocated to social house ahead of somebody? No, in not, pro- no, no. not necessarily. You're, you're, there's a, what is done is there's a needs assessment com- completed on, on all families and you, you're prioritised based on your needs. But, put, but, you know, putting yourself into emergency accommodation to get a social house is, is not, you know, it, it's not what people do. Uh, because simply, you know, the governments haven't built or aren't haven't built, you know, any considerable amount of social housing um, since the 1980s. So, you know, the only the only organisations that are providing or actually doing anything at the moment are, are AHBs like Focus Ireland. The local authority is bringing some properties back, but any local authority that I've spoken to or any private developer that I've spoken to are not building. Um, units of accommodation. You'll see around Cork City there's an awful lot of office space being built but very little accommodation. Mm. It's all office, office space yeah. or, or hotels. Yeah. And yeah. There's, twi- there's quite two considerable 
uh, of hotels being built, you know, either side of, of the Focus Ireland office here in Cork City, uh, and there's no actual accommodation being built. And and what's happening is that you you will, you know, you're only you're only meeting you're only meeting a percentage of homelessness every year, and that then what's not being met or what's the people who are not being housed then go onto the list again next year and that list just keeps growing. And as I've said already in, in the interview, that we just simply are not creating enough properties to meet the, the demand that's out there. And it's affecting society as a whole. We have a social contract um, in terms of how we live as a society and we're not meeting that social contract because people are, are, are being forced into poverty and into vulnerable situations. And we are currently... And I mean, like the HAP payment... You know, because government policy was to use private rented sector as to provide social housing, therefore the HAP payments and all other government initiatives should follow that line. Uh, it would be expensive at the start, but as you, but if you can do that in conjunction with building, that will regulate itself in in years to come. The amount of money, the amount of money that's been spent on emergency accommodation is staggering. Well, I, I think that I mean. I, that can be open to be criticised, but I think it's in the region of between 45 and 54 million euros a year is being spent on emergency hotel and B&B accommodation. And it builds a lot of houses. That would build a lot of houses, and more importantly, what it would do is that, and, and I briefly um, heard your story prior to me coming on, it, what it would do, it would, it would allow us, why, for example, couldn't we use that money if uh, if a house was going to be repossessed? Because the the owner, the landlord, couldn't afford to make payments back. Um, why isn't that a house offered to AHBs to purchase in order to keep the family in there? Yeah. Uh, why is it being sold to vulture funds? Yeah. Uh, and and the, the the most, I suppose, one of the most difficult things about that is, is that vulture funds don't even pay tax on these now. Um, so th- there's no social benefit at all. And you're going to see an increase in in the number of evictions. I mean, and there's plenty of properties. You know, I work in the larger Munster area, and I can see that there's plenty of of properties where um, where when they're repossessed, they're repossessed as vacant possession. So the the, the family in there or the individual is, is evicted, and um, that property is then left vacant for for months, even years, once it goes through the whole repossession and legal. Um, Workings, and yet a family no could, a sham family could be living of, there. Yeah, I mean, if there was a bit of creative thinking, there's no reason as to why the family would need to leave. Um, I know in in Paris at the moment that just to give an example, that if a, if a property become uh, comes for sale, um, the, the local authority or whatever the municipality in in, in Paris is, they they have first choice on the property. Um, and why can't we do that here, or why can't we if there if if the banks have a portfolio of properties, um, and families are and the families who are in there are entitled to go on the social housing list. Um, why can't the local authorities purchase them, or why can't AHBs like Focus Ireland do that? Okay, uh, Barbara in Glenmire wants to know: Are there many homeless families living in emergency accommodation in Cork, or is this just a Dublin issue? No, there, no, there, it's not just a Dublin issue. This is a, this is a national issue. Obviously, Dublin is 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 where the the biggest problem is because it is our, you know, over a third of the population live there. Uh, there is a family hub um, set up in Cork there, and there is families living. So, I mean, I don't know the exact figures, but you could be talking here between twenty and twenty-five families living in in emergency accommodation in in Cork City. Um, and then you're and, a, and out in the county, all of the county hotels have. And all in the county yeah. hotels, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean it's uh, it, it's somewhat a hidden problem. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, Dublin is a very difficult situation. Uh, but colleagues of mine in the homeless sector in Cork would see that the Cork homeless problem could could be resolved quite quickly uh, with a bit of creative thinking, a bit of innovation. Um, I mean, our two emergency shelters run by our colleagues in Cork, Simon and VDP, they're they're full and constantly full. Um, our concern now is that will the winter initiative that comes in every year will that be sufficient to meet the needs of the of the number, increasing numbers of rough sleepers that are that are coming to our service uh, or coming to their services? So um, yeah, it's, it's quite it's, it's quite a sobering thought. Uh, Christmas time and winter and the, the numbers of families and you know we haven't. I mean, we you and I, Patricia, spoken about this many times over the last few years, and every time I come on, I. I I have to tell you that the the problem isn't being um, like there's a lot of good stuff happening, but the, the problem isn't being uh, addressed. And I suppose to give you a good news story, then like we have a youth housing project here in Cork City, and we work with young people between the ages of eighteen and, and twenty six, uh, and nine of those young people started in third level education. Wow, wow! Who wouldn't who would never have had the opportunity to do that? So you know, I'm very conscious about being doom and gloom, but there is an awful lot of good work being done. But unfortunately, the crisis in such a state is in such a position that the good work is kind of um, swamped by it. If, for one I know, I know. Listen, keep keep flying the flag. You're doing fantastic work at uh, Focus in Cork, Ger. Uh, As always, thanks for joining us on the programme and, uh, and have a good Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, Patricia. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That is uh, Ger Spillane, who is a great guy. He's manager with uh, Focus in uh, Cork. Uh, 1850-333-103. Now, every year what we do here in the programme in the week leading up to Christmas, and obviously where this is kicking off from uh, today, we tried to play some Christmas songs that you don't normally get to hear in the mix, in the mix of all of the other Christmas songs that are played all of the time. Um, and if there's a particular song that you want us to play, if we have it, uh, we have quite an extensive array of uh, Christmas CDs. As, as I say, these are songs that are just, they're just not the ones you hear all of the time on the radio. But if there's one that you want to hear, let us know and give us enough notice so if we can see if we can track it down for you. Now, there's one uh, song that every single Christmas we get calls in. And I know even last week, somebody emailed to say, if we were going to be playing our Christmas songs, would we make sure that we play Christmas at 1915? And it is more relevant this year, I suppose, than any other year, because 2018, there was so much about the ending of the First World War in 1918. So this is more relevant, uh, I suppose, than ever. You're right this year. This is Tommy Fleming and his version of Christmas 1915. Nineteen fifteen on Christmas Day On the Western Front the guns all died away And lying in the mud on bags of sand We heard a German sing from no man's land He had a tenor voice so pure and true were strange but every note we knew soaring o'er the living dead and down the Germans sang of peace from no man's land 
They left their trenches and then we left ours Beneath tin hats they smiled Just like wildflowers With photos, cigarettes and pots of wine We built a soldier's truce on the front line Their singer was a lad of 21 we begged another song before the dawn And sitting in the mud and blood and fear He sang again the song on to hear Silent night, no cannons roar a king of peace is born forevermore All's calm, all's bright All brothers hand in hand In 1915 in no man's land In the morning all the guns boomed in the rain And we killed them and they killed us again With bayonet, bomb and bullet, gas and flame And neither we nor they at all to blame There was heavy fighting right We bloodily did pay At night they charged We fought them hand to hand And I killed the boy That sang in no man's land Silent night No cannons roll a king of peace is born forevermore All's calm, all's bright All brothers hand in hand And that young soldier sings And the song of peace still rings Though the captains and all the kings build Isn't that a beautiful song? That is Tommy Fleming and a Christmas 1915. 1850-333-103. Lines open. A new collection of photographs that opens up the rugged and rocket landscape of the Bear Peninsula has just been published. The man behind the lens is Kenmare-based photographer Norman McCluskey, uh, who joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Norman. 
Hi, good morning. Uh, How are you? Uh, you're, I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. Your book is absolutely stunning. It, it, every you. single photograph in it is just, it's just you, it takes my breath away as I was turning the pages. It's, it's, it's fantastic. How long did it take to put a book like this together? Um, well, the book was in, I suppose, the images were made over a period of two years. Um, but in reality, the book was about 26 years in the making. <laughs> uh, it's, it's where I've been photographing most over the my whole photographic journey. It's, it's where I took my very first landscape photographs, which is on the Barrier Peninsula. So all of that influenced everything that fed into uh, the decision to go back and do a concentrated project on, on the Barrier Peninsula. Um, so two years, I suppose, uh, fairly intensive working out there. Um, but, you know, most of the time it just didn't feel like work at all. It's, uh, it's a wonderful place to work. And you do it, obviously, across all of the seasons are covered and all different times of the day for, from a lighting point of view? Um, mainly early mornings, actually. Uh, predominantly would be early mornings. Uh, there's some, some evening work uh, in the wintertime, but uh, my er- preference is always for early morning. morning. Yes. And then how do you whittle it down to 90 photographs? Uh, well, that's almost always the most difficult part of <laughs> any book project, Uh editing down from thousands of images. Uh, you would do a series of calls to, I think our, my first edit was about maybe 800 images. You half that again and try and half it again. It's quite difficult. You try and, uh, I suppose, and out of that uh, emerges, I suppose, a sense of your original idea, your sense of your idea of the place. Um, there's always difficult decisions to make. Some images you really, really like uh, that just simply don't fit uh, a narrative or a colour scheme or the flow of the book um, but that's always always the tricky bit is editing yeah. and I imagine it's it's like on a day out leaving one child at home because you don't have room in the car it's just <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's yeah, really yeah. difficult is it true that this is the first photographic book of the Bear Peninsula? Uh, yes I mean well, there's, been, there's been a couple of uh, kind of guidebooks with a photography base but it has a lot of text and I suppose would have been more tourist orientated but um, yeah so that was a part of the, the appeal of the the project when I was moving on from my 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 first book was to was to find something uh, new and original again to do and uh, yeah it's uh, although it's a very popular destination for photographers uh, no one had really done a, a, a concentrated photographic study of it yet. It really is this country's best kept secret, isn't it, the Bear Peninsula? Yes, yes. It it it's kind of um, it's a bit of a double edged sword because. Um, you know, in the success of the book, we're revealing um, a lot of it. Uh, a lot of the people down there really revel in the fact that it is this unspoiled, uh, uncrowded, amazing landscape. Um, but it's certainly, it, it, it's kind of finding its own feet now. There's a couple of articles in The Guardian this year on us, and there's the wonderful Ring of Bearer cycle race, and a lot of people are discovering the Bearer. What do you believe makes the peninsula so special? Uh, well, for me, cause I suppose there's a lot of personal, uh, you know, elements to it in, in that I just absolutely love the landscape. Um, but I suppose um, it, it's, it's ruggedness and there's, there's a lot of contrast. You have these dramatic mountains and kind of softened by all of this wonderful landscape and the sea is on all sides of you. Um, as a photographer, uh, the light there, I think, is quite uh, is quite special because you have uh, a lot of these, uh, valleys and ridges which only get light in a certain way in a certain time of year so it's a quite a challenging and lovely place to work with um, but it has been a draw for artists and you know all sorts of people over the years uh, to get away from it all and uh, 
you know, you just get a wonderful kind of sense of peace and a relaxation out there. And you've you've definitely tapped into that in the, in the book, that's for sure. Neil Jordan, the film director, wrote uh, the most incredible foreword uh, to the book. And I have to say, I mean, he sells the area, not as good as your photographs do, but he certainly sells the area in, in his foreword. How did you manage to get him to do the foreword for you? Um, well, it was it, it was funny. I was I was supposed uh, I wanted someone really not just a name, but someone with a genuine connection with the place. Um, and I, I knew Neil has a, a house in the Barra, um, but it was actually it was a year into the project when I was almost researching bits of it, and I started watching some of his films. He's shot uh, particularly Andine, which he filmed almost entirely in uh, in and around Castletown Bear. Um, and Pullen Harbour and uh, I thought well actually if there's one person that has a real <laughs> connection with and genuine it would be him so it was it was a real it was a real privilege and honour for him uh, uh, for me uh, sorry to uh, for him to do it and uh, yeah it was yeah, I think he encapsulates it and sums it up perfectly he does you know. he does yeah it's, 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 it's really special you have a ga- you live in Kenmare isn't it you've got a gallery there Yes, yeah. I'm originally from Limerick City, but I'm here uh, in Kenmare. I'm a blow-in for the last 26 years. <laughs> um, I'll probably be that way for forever. But um, yeah, we have a gallery right in the centre of town. Um, it's, uh, it's it's a great spot, great town, and uh, it's a nice uh, it's a nice busy business. So we're, we're kept going all year round. Okay, busy. I imagine coming up to Christmas, are you? Um, yeah, well, yeah. especially with the book. I mean, normally uh, things would you'd be looking forward to kind of winding down this time of year, but when with the book, it's been uh, it's been fairly hectic. I'm like a little mini Amazon depot uh, <laughs> here, signing and packing and sending out books all day. Well done. Um, so it's good, yeah. So that leads me nicely to where the book is available from. Obviously, your gallery in in Kenmare. Yeah, it's, it's here in the gallery. It's online at normanmclaughlin.com. Uh, it's in bookshops. Um, if you don't see it readily available. Um, anyone in the bookshop can can request one and order one that's distributed through Argosy. So they have they provide all the a lot of the smaller bookshops out there. Uh, I don't think it's in Easton's, but any other bookshop should be able to get it, no problem. Okay, and it's simply entitled Beira. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I have to mention Biffy Clyro gets mentioned because people were talking about Biffy Clyro because I'm a celebrity. Get get me out of here. Yeah, and yeah. and you have you have a quote from Biffy Clyro in your book? Yeah, it's funny because um, uh, you know song titles and song lyrics in your head when you spend an awful lot of time out in the landscape like I do by myself. Uh, that one particular song line and I thought this is a perfect fit. It sums me up perfectly. So I approached the band and their manager and asked for permission to use it and uh, they uh, they kindly said uh, they kind of gave permission to do so I just thought it's a it was a nice little ending to it. Perfect. It's I am the mountain, I am the sea. You can't take that away from me. It's fabulous. Exactly. Okay, listen, It's it, the book is is uh, stunning. Stunning from thank start you. to finish. Uh, I wish you luck with it, uh, Norman. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Great, listen. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for that. That is uh, Norman McCluskey, who is a Kenmare-based uh, photographer. The book is called A Bearer. Uh, if you're looking for something for a Christmas present for a loved one this Christmas, that's... You won't go far wrong with a book like that. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. Oh, oh, oh. Hey.
That's music from Mariah Carey on C103 and that is Christmas. Um, oh, by the way, talking of Christmas and Christmas songs, I played earlier on Tommy Fleming's Christmas 1915, which is one of those songs that every single year will get people saying, oh, you must play it, you must play it. And the song you don't get to hear that often on the radio. It isn't one of the commercially better known uh, Christmas songs straight. I'd say the song wasn't over. Actually, a number of people said that they really enjoyed it. So thank you. Glad, glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, but TJ in McCroom was on straight away and says, Morning, Patricia. The events described in Tommy's song happened in 1914, not in 1915. I'm sure I've had that discussion uh, with Tommy Fleming as well about it. But the original song, when it was written, whoever wrote the song, uh, said that it was the events of 1915. And you are right. It was the first Christmas that the soldiers were in the trenches, which was the Christmas of 1914, that that uh, truce occurred. And obviously the leaders, the commanders of both the French, the German and the British soldiers were fuming over what happened, the fact that the soldiers crossed the the trenches and they exchanged um, seasonal greetings and talks and they had a little bit of a football match by all accounts. And seemingly the following year, in 1915, uh, they did, there was a small amount of truces were held but nothing like it was in 1914 and then of course by 1916 it was gone completely because I think at that stage everyone was becoming so downhearted and they'd lost so many so much human life had been lost on all of the various battles that there was no truce at all even attempted in 1916 but you are right the actual main truce that that song talks about was in 1914 but it doesn't in any way take from it what is a lovely song and let us not forget those young men and all the lives that were lost during the First World War as they say I think the song is more relevant this year than it has been on any of the previous years because we were so commemorating the ending of the First World War. Now, Nathan Carter tickets. Tickets to Nathan Carter go on sale tomorrow morning. Ticketmaster.ie is where you need to go if you want to try to buy tickets to go along to see Nathan live at the marquee and he will play there on Friday the 14th of uh, June. But we have tickets to give away every day this week, including today. So this is really the first set of tickets to Nathan Carter before they even go on sale. We're playing a clip from an interview with Nathan and there's a word missing. She told me the story about uh, they, like many Irish families years ago, they had to emigrate to get out of the country so they, they wanted to go to America to, work, to start a new life. So where do they go in America? What is the missing word? Caller 10 to get through to Bernie now at 1850-333-103. Caller 10 will win, as I say. What I reckon is probably the first pair of tickets to Live at the Marquee because they will go on sale from 9am tomorrow. For more about the tickets, see ticketmaster.ie. The word that's missing. One more time. She told me the story about uh, they, like many Irish families years ago, they had to emigrate to get out of the country so they, they wanted to go to America to, work, to start a new life OK get dialing on that 1850 and call her 10 through to Bernie with the correct answer will win today's tickets and we have tickets to give away every day this week thanks to Aiken uh, Promotions and it's a concert a lot of people will be looking forward to Friday the 14th of June Nathan playing live at the Marquee and your chance to win right across uh, this week Okay, some of your thoughts coming in to us Patricia in light of your discussion on homelessness and children and evictions at Christmas is it not scandal scandalous that 30 million euro of cash 
that could have helped those homeless people went into the fiasco that is now emerging at Pork Equive. We need a nationwide protest ASAP, says uh, Dan. And this was the story. We actually didn't get to it on Friday. We had a busy programme and we didn't get to it. It was a story that was reported in the Examiner newspaper that uh, Croke Park was to take over the official running of the stadium in uh, Porky Cueve with uh, the stadium director at GAA headquarters, Peter McKenna, uh, telling the examiner that it became clear in the middle of the year that the amount spent on the stadium exceeded what people thought. McKenna estimated that the final cost would be in the region of £110 million. Euro and indicated uh, Croke Park's involvement might last between 10 and 15 years to resolve all the financial woes. Um, and no real explanation as to why it has gone over by that much. I mean, you think you do a planning and, you know, it's like if you're building a house and I know there can be some overruns, but it does seem to be very high indeed. But then I did hear uh, across the weekend um Tracy Kennedy, the G Cork GAA chair, she was speaking. The, the annual convention happened to ha- happened to take place over the weekend, and um, Tracy Kennedy told delegates at the county's annual convention that the total stadium, the total stadium spend stood at eighty six million euro, which is a good bit off the hundred and ten million euro that Dublin is saying it's costing. Tracy Kennedy went on to say the Cork has entered a commercial uh, arrangement with Croke Park for a period of three years, not ten or ten to fifteen years, and she said it would be foolish not to use Croke Park's expertise in the running of the stadium. So she said they're going to get involved to help them, but over the next two to uh, three years. But there does seem to be a bit of a dilemma or a bit of a quandary now as to exactly how much the overspend is. It does look like there's an overspend, but as to how much, I don't know. But anyway, the Dan's point is, whatever the overspend was, couldn't that money be used to get a lot of people out of uh, homelessness? And a point that I made when I was talking to Jair Spillane, focus the amount of money that is spent every single week, every month of every year for the last number of years on emergency accommodation. The amount, the hotels have to be paid and rightly so. I mean, there's people staying in the hotels and it's the only form of accommodation that the local council and HSE can get for people. So they're staying in hotels and they they have no other choice. But the amount of money that is spent on those hotel rooms is astronomical and you kind of think back and think why can't some of that money be diverted into building houses it's it's just what's what how we're dealing with homelessness at the moment and the government are dealing with homelessness at the moment just is not working because the list just seems to be getting longer and you speak to people like Focus you speak to people like Threshold like the Simon community and all you hear there are more and more people becoming homeless every single day as you know as soon as they manage to get some families to exit homelessness you can be guaranteed for every one that goes out there's three or for more uh, joining the list. Talking of homelessness and all of that, we were talking about trying to live in a hotel and Ger Spillan talking about nutritional issues for families that live in emergency accommodation. When you think about it, if you're stuck in emergency accommodation, if you're stuck in a hotel room, you'll have a little kettle where you can make a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, maybe a cup of hot cuts, a cup of soup, but that's it. You're not going to be able to cook inside in a hotel room. And because of that, those families are forced then to live out, live out of the local chipper, takeaway, pizzas, 
you know, they, I suppose you can get some salads and stuff, but basically the, the majority of the food you're going to be eating, particularly in the winter when you want something warm, is going to be from a takeaway. So now we've got children growing up in you know, being raised in a hotel, they're living in a, in a hotel and then they're heading off to school every day and they, there's a nutritional deficiency. It really is uh, shocking. That led to Jeanette in Formoy saying she heard us talk about that um, and how they can't cook in a hotel room. And she says she has an electric three-tier steamer and a juicer that she'd be willing to donate to somebody with no cooking facilities. Isn't that really, really kind? And actually thinking about it, you could use a juicer in a hotel room. Could you use a three-tier steamer? I don't know how the hotel would view it. But uh, certainly the juicer would be a great idea. Anyway, and uh, we have Jeanette's number. If anybody knows of a homeless family that's living without cooking facilities in emergency accommodation in and around the Formoy area, ideally, so that we could hook them up with Jeanette and that very kind offer of an electric three tier steamer and a juicer. Thank you, Jeanette. That's a very kind offer. And we spoke about Cork Penny dinners last week with the North Cork collection that's been going on for the last number of uh, years. And we were calling out the various locations where the collection was taking place. And uh, somebody was on this morning to say, did, did we know that Weedell's Chemist Townview and Mallow also have a collection going for Penny dinners? And they weren't on the list that we called out last week. So I'm glad to give that a mention. That's Weedell's Pharmacy Townview and Mallow also collecting for for penny dinners. And Noreen and Bandon was on. This is to do with potholes. And God, you can really, with the weather, the way it's been and the wet weather that we've had and the stormy, windy weather, you can almost see potholes appearing before your eyes. You've got to be really, really careful when you're out driving, folks. Keep an eye, keep a really close eye on the roads, even roads that you know well, because potholes are just, and they're like craters, some of these potholes that are appearing. Noreen and Bandon said there are very bad potholes in Bandon on Weir Street and also by the library and on the bridge. There are some very heavy trucks using the roads around Bandon at the moment because obviously all the flood relief work is going on. Uh, also, there's a lot of, on a separate issue, there's a lot of dog fouling. In, again, in the Weir Street area, people are simply not picking up after their dogs. So Weir Street are, are caught on both sides. They've got the potholes on the road and then if you're on the footpath, there's a lot of dog fouling. If you're out walking your dogs, please, 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 if you're walking your dogs, in Bandon or anywhere else will you pick up after them even when you're out in this wet weather and I appreciate when you're out in the wet weather it can be the, the last thing you want to do is to be bending down but don't leave it to somebody else and don't leave it to somebody else to walk into or somebody pushing a pram or somebody in a wheelchair and they're, they're going through your dog fouling instead but the potholes in Bandon can anything be done there from a council's point of view or are they simply waiting because there's so much road works going on and you are right there's a lot of heavy trucks and machinery in the town or are they just are they making the situation even worse? 1850 You can stop calling us on our Nathan Carter competition. And the word that's missing from this... She told me the story about they, like many Irish families years ago, they had to emigrate to get out of the country. So they, they wanted to go to America to start a new life. They wanted to go to America to New York to start a new life. Okay, so New York was the answer and our winner is Mary Kelleher from Inchigila. Congratulations, Mary Kelleher from Inchigila, the correct caller with the correct answer. And she will now have something to look forward to. On Friday the 14th of June, she'll head live to the marquee to see Nathan Carter. Tickets on sale from 9am tomorrow morning, ticketmasters.ie and every day this week we are giving away those uh, tickets. Thanks to our good friends at uh, Aiken. 
promotions. And a call in to say that the home of Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony in Kilbarry in Dunmanway, they have a Christmas lights display for charity. Co-action in Dunmanway and Cope Foundation and the Irish Community Air Ambulance. There is a collection box at the house and the lights go on every night at 5pm and they leave them on until 11.30. I just think some people are so fantastic the way they do this they illuminate their their houses and there's some wonderful illuminations some people go you know way over which I'm assuming is what Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony have done the fact that they're doing it for, for charity so if you want to pop along and give a donation please do and bring the, the bring the smallies the smallies love to see these illuminations between 5pm and 11.30 but well done just actually to other people who, whose houses I've noticed this year there seems to be people have got are really putting their are really putting a lot of work and effort into illuminating uh, their houses. There's a lot of brightness around and it's wonderful, I think, to see it. Wonderful to see it because it's so dark and dreary at the moment and kind of brightens up everybody's Christmas. I love driving out in the evening time now and seeing all the houses lit up and just twinkly lights in the window from Christmas trees. It's it's wonderful. When I mentioned the wonderful community air ambulance, I see a text in asking me to say a huge thanks to the Castletown Bear Development Association's Bingo Night Raffle for the air ambulance. It raised almost a thousand euro, nine hundred and seventy-five euro. That's a huge amount of money from one from a, from a raffle at a bingo. Well done, and uh, a check also from the Bearer Gallery, Laura. A check for three hundred euro from their Christmas fair in Laura community centre. So keep the fundraising going for the air ambulance because there is a lot of money needed in order to keep that air ambulance. I know it's just been launched this year but keeping it up every year is staggering, staggering amount of money and the only way we'll keep the ambulance in the air saving saving people's lives is by having fundraisers and by supporting the fundraisers. Can I just give a mention because I mentioned this earlier and I may have said the wrong venue and my apologies if I did. This is a shout out to people living in Castle Magner that there is an emergency meeting in Castle Magner Community Hall tonight at 7 o'clock. It's in relation to estate safety public lighting and other issues concerning all residents. Local councillors will be in attendance and the organisers who are the Castle Magner Residents Association are hoping for a huge turnout as issues arising recently need to be addressed. So that's in Castle Magner Community Hall tonight at 7pm. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And there is a live crib at Liz Meyer GAA grounds. It's there from today through to next uh, Saturday. It opens from 7 to 9 each evening and it is a free event. St. Joseph's Foundation are celebrating their Golden Jubilee this year and to celebrate they're holding a raffle and that's going to be held on the night of December 17th. It's in aid of respite care. Great prizes including a holiday and spending money. Tickets are €5 and they are available from St. Joseph's Foundation and tonight is December the 17th. 
have indeed. Goodness me, this month is flying by. Uh, returning due to popular demand, The Flowing Tide. It's a comedy play written by Charleville native Katie Holly with live music arrangement from local artists. The show will be held tonight and tomorrow night in the Schoolyard Theatre in Charleville at 8 o'clock and tickets from 087 252 And the Lehan family in Naka Villa in Upton, they've got their Christmas lights display at their home every evening. They switch on at 6 in the evening until 10pm and they, their house will be illuminated until the 6th of January. Donations to Marymount Hospice and it's signposted from Brinney to Crossbarry. And the 40th annual Christmas Day Swim will be held at Tregumna this Christmas Day at 12 noon. Fancy dress is optional. Sponsorship cards, though, are available from Peter O'Sullivan Main Street in uh, Skibbereen. And Bandon Rotary Club, they have erected a tree of remembrance in Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon. Volunteers will be there right up to Christmas Eve from 10am to 6pm each day. All funds raised going to support local community organisations. Now last week I spoke to the charities regulator who was offering words of advice on donating to charities and organisations to make sure the money you give actually goes to a good cause. Our attention was then brought to a door-to-door bogus collection for a well-known Cork charity. Joining me to outline what happened is the founder of the Rainbow Club for Children with Autism and that's uh, Karen O'Mahony. Uh, good afternoon to you Karen. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Such a mean thing to do. Tell me what you now know happened. Um, so basically in the summertime, we had, the end of the summer, uh, we had been contacted one evening by a lady in Mayfield in Cork and said that uh, she had some uh, teenagers call to the door. They had a, a sheet of paper and they said that they were collecting money for the Rainbow Club. And she was immediately alerted because last last Christmas we had similar um, issues where people were selling calendars and saying that the money was going to Rainbow Club. And we hadn't sent out any calendars or anybody to do door-to-door collections. So she obviously knew of this and she contacted us straight away. And then we put up a post. And as that, when I put up a post, then lots of other people started coming through saying that they had seen them in their area or they had called to their house. Or um, So we very quickly then put up lots of posts and we asked everyone to share them out stating that um, we didn't do any door-to-door collections. We never have and we never intended to. We don't intend to. Um, and that uh, being a charity now um, with our charity status and that we we want to keep to our good code of governance and, and a lot of what we do is above board here that anybody that is going out would, would always be represented on um, uh, by us wearing our proper bibs and having ID and, and stuff to, to send over it. Um, so it wasn't us, and obviously these teenagers took it upon themselves to use our charity um, to to benefit uh, themselves or whoever. Do you they were, they do you know? Did they manage to scam any money out of people? Yes, they did. Uh, they got money. They did. Yeah, um, I think you know a lot of a lot of people in Cork would know of us. And um, Rainbow Club Cork is um, an organisation that looks after children with autism and their families. So we're very much in the public domain at the moment. Um, we're at the moment we're trying to save um, money and raise money to um, to get a building of our own bigger than what we have. We're sharing a community centre here, and it's very very cramped. Yeah. And uh, the family's waiting for our help, and we can't bring them in, so we need a bigger space because obviously, with the way that uh, you know diagnosis and assessments are going, there are a lot of children that are going to be assessed and diagnosed over the next twelve months and fifteen months. 
Um, so those families are going to be handed over to us. Like they, they're, they're given our leaflets so they're told about us and then they come to us looking for help. So God, it's, I, it's I hard say, then, isn't it, that when they come to you and there's a waiting list? Yeah, um, we, we have a waiting list for our social group. And oh, okay. that would be the only witness we have, um, which is in club. But the other activities that we are trying to expand in January are sports and our drama and our music groups. And uh, we're going to start some art groups as well uh, to try and get these children into these supports while they're waiting on well done. Well, well done. You, you, so, do, you do you do amazing work, and as you say, yeah. because of the great work you do, people know about you, uh, exactly. and therefore people would think, "Oh, these are a great organisation. Let's give them some money." Yeah. These yeah. these young these teenagers. Do, do you believe they were local lads? Um, I don't know because I, I suppose that, you know Cork and County is where we we would be we would be supporting families. So we're we're on Facebook. We have a website. Lots of parents here that would share our stuff. And they would see us in schools and out in supermarkets and, and you know, we do backpacking and things. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't, we don't know because obviously now you can't get pictures of these, or you can't take pictures of people anymore. Um, and, you know, for, for me, I didn't know them personally and anyone that I asked, they didn't know who okay. they were. Um, I suppose first, I, as a parent, as a parent myself with two boys with autism, um, they're the reason I started the club, to give families support. And it's absolutely disgusting that our children have been used this way. Our families go through enough in our everyday lives. It's hard enough um, living um, with special needs and, and trying to help and support your family without them being targeted and used in this way, especially Christmas time. Well you know, said. Well said. And, and fundraising, uh, Karen, is hard enough mm-hmm. for any organisation. It is. It is. And there's so many very, um, very well-established um, charities out there and they're all, you know, very, very good services and everybody is trying to, to make the best of the good time of the years where, where it is, where it is great. And I suppose for us, it's, it's children and teens here that we have and some of our guys have, have gone into the young adult stage and they're coming to our mentorship program. So we have a, a huge amount of, of, of age back here that we're trying to support and every penny that we make is going towards the new building that we need to be able to, to get us into somewhere in a bigger space to help lots more of these. All of our children are getting bigger and they're growing. And at 18, the service is already very, very hard to get them into something else after 18. But with us, if we have a big enough space, we can grow into that space. Um, and the children then, when, and, and they, as they become teenagers and adults, they will have a space then that they can continuously use, learn skills and train, and then they go back out into society. If they can't go back into society, they can stay with us and maintain little jobs and, and, and programs and workshops here with us as well. And how soon would you hope to be up and running the expanded um, we'll be We'll be a while, yes, because we're trying. I mean, I suppose look, the building that we've seen is huge. Um, it's it, I think on the market for two million. Oh. Uh, we're hoping to get some funding. Yeah, we're going to try to get some funding applications. We sent out letters to all the departments and government asking for help. And um, I suppose you know we're doing a service that that they're not providing. Yeah, we, yeah. we all work together. And um, I suppose we have the model that's working. We're no longer a concept; it's a working model. And um, so we can work with these agencies to help these families, and it's a win-win for everybody. 
I mean, our families are getting support. We have the facilities we need. We're a very motivated, passionate group. Um, and it's the government and any agencies that can send us the money uh, to fund this building to help us get in there, we can continue doing what we can. It helps families then that are on waiting lists and waiting for support. So, you know, in the bigger picture and the bigger scale of things, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And do you get funding from the HSE? No, not no. yet. No. Nothing no. for your service? We've been voluntary run. We've been voluntary run half years. Um, Sorry, your, your, your phone broke up there for how long? Uh, three and a half years. We were three years um, open in June. We opened in June in 2015. So three and a half years here. We started with 22 children. We now have 624 families oh. under us here. From um, 22? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and incredible. lots more on the way. Yeah. Now, this week is a really busy, exciting week for us. Um, it's AFC Santa week. Yeah. And we have the biggest AFC Santa experience here. In the hall, we, we build the whole, it's constructed, um, and it's all AFC specific. Every family has their own time slot. So this week, we will, we will welcome 608 children, um, two, two schools, and a special needs group as well. Well done. Well done. Well, we actually were talking about autism only last week on the programme, last Friday, uh, with regard to Clonakilty being the um, autism-friendly town. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to see more of that replicated everywhere? Um, yeah, and I suppose, you know, like a lot of people, you know, they think, you know, supermarkets with AC friendly, there's a lot, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, these are fantastic models when they come out and you can adapt and, and grow with those. Um, and every time that you meet a family, their needs are different, so it's not specific. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would say to a lot of, a lot of places is that they need to adapt themselves as well. It's hard when you're living as a family with autism to stick to specific times. But if you can go into a place and you can train those staff and those facilities, it will make it easier for that family so that they can come in outside of those friendly times. Okay. Lots of sporting bodies and groups, if they can welcome uh, training, and there's lots and lots of, of, of groups. The FAI are very passionate about bringing in lots of sports and they're coming in, they'll train coaches and stuff. Um, we came in this year and we went into Supernova and we gave those um, staff out there, we trained them um, and we, we, we um, certified their their centre. Uh, so now we have specific times that families can go in, but they can also go in midweek as well when it's busy and that staff will know how to help that family in that time. Well so they don't well, have right. to be. And that's know? what we need. We need more and, yeah. and more uh, of that. Exactly. All right, but your exactly. your main message today, Karen, is that the Rainbow Club in Cork, you have no door-to-door no, collection. No door-to-door And if anybody collection. comes across, run them from the door and, and, exactly. ring, and ring the Gardaí. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's illegal the what they're doing. Yes, All right. Exactly. OK, listen, exactly. Have uh, um, thank you for taking time out. I didn't realise what a busy no, day you have today, so no, we appreciate thank that. thank you so much for the opportunity no. to have us on air as well. Well, that's our... To get the message out, you're very good. Well, our pleasure. And have a happy Christmas to everybody and involved in the Rainbow Club. And to you all as well. God thank bless. Bye-bye. That is uh, Karen O'Mahony, founder of the Rainbow Club for children with um, autism. No, they're not doing door-to-door uh, collections. And shame on whoever those young teenagers that were doing it. Uh, shame on them. And uh, saddened to see that they did manage to get con some money out of uh, some people. 1850 William in West Cork. I mentioned Cork Penny Dinners earlier. I did. Says that Shawnee Fitzpatrick and other white-collar criminals and offenders should be made to work for the likes of Cork Penny Dinners for 12 months. Let them see the other side of the coin.
let them see the decisions they made and how it affected people and the poverty that it caused. Put the, putting those people in jail actually only cost the taxpayer mo- more money make them work for the community. Not a bad idea, William. Not a bad idea. That's uh, William in West Cork. OK, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We're taking a break and we're back with Annalise Drissel and today we are discussing type 2 diabetes. And Annalise Drissel, the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic, joining us as always on this uh, Monday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And today we've had a couple of calls in saying could Annalise talk about type 2 uh, diabetes? So I suppose start at the beginning and explain the difference between type 1 and type 2 because they are uh, uh, very different. They are, absolutely. And type type 1 diabetes, they have the same same symptoms, Patricia, and they have the same long-term effects. But type 1 diabetes means that you're unable to produce your own insulin. So you need to take insulin in as an injection. And then type 2 diabetes generally is developed later on in life. It's a lot, a lot of the time, it's lifestyle related. And what can happen is that you're producing plenty insulin, but for some reason your cells are no longer responding to it or they have become insensitive to the insulin. So one is gen- generally genetic. Um, you can have it from a very early age and you have to take the injections. That's type one. And type two then, you could manage it with diet and lifestyle but you also can take a tablet to help you manage it. Can well. you reverse it once it's diagnosed? Absolutely, Patricia. I'm a big believer in that. And I don't think people are given the opportunity to reverse it or the help or the support to reverse it from the medical side of things because you could reverse, get, the, get, get your blood sugars down to normal levels within as little as six to eight weeks following a particular kind of a diet. So it is definitely not for everybody, but it's for a lot of people you should be able to come back out with without taking any medication. And what are the symptoms and the risk factors? So the symptoms mainly, I suppose, are kind of an increasing thirst, um, doing um, urinating a lot, um, because that's the body's way of trying to get rid of sugar. So if you think about what's happening, if the cells aren't responding to insulin, you're not able to take the sugar out of your blood into your cells for energy. So you'll feel tired, you'll probably feel headachey, um, you will be thirsty and weeing a lot as well. Um, in the long term, the risk factors are you have an increased risk of heart disease, an increased risk of stroke. You get something called diabetic neuropathy where the sugars have damaged the tiny little blood vessels in fingers and toes and you can get numbness, tingling eventually in, in uncontrolled cases. This would cause um, gangrene, so you might need amputation. Um, you can also, you have an increased risk of getting cataracts because the sugars damage the little proteins in the clear tissue of the eye and they can cloud over and become cataracts. So they would all be major risk factors. Very serious. Type one or two. Very Absolutely. serious. Actually, you mentioned uh, diabetic neuropathy. Uh, a listener says, can Annalise recommend a natural remedy for what is a very painful condition? It is very painful. So what's happening there is that your circulation effectively is suffering because it's the tiny little blood vessels. Now, the main thing to do is to follow, um, you know, the directions and the advice that I'm giving now in a minute about type 2 diabetes, how to prevent that and to get your weight under control. But other things that are very useful then for the fine um, um, capillaries are hawthorn and garlic are wonderful. The hawthorn is great for the actual cells of the small blood vessels and garlic is great to keep the blood thin and flowing nicely. Horseradish is another one, great one as well for the um, for the, the blood to keep it healthy and flowing nice and if it gets clotty again, Patricia, it's harder to get it out to the peripheral 
tissues. Another thing I think is very important to take for anybody who has got diabetes and diabetic neuropathy is something called alpha-lipoic acid. So that's spelled alpha, A-L-P-H-A, lipoic, L-I-P-O-I-C, acid. And this can help to protect the damage, the further damage to small, tiny capillaries and blood vessels. So for people who've already got diabetic neuropathy, you might get some benefit from it. But definitely, if you've just been diagnosed with type 1 or type 2, start on it until you get your blood sugars under control to protect those vessels. Okay, and John in Clannacilty wants to know, does type 2 diabetes, does it have any effect on the mind? He's getting forgetful, as in people's names. Yeah, I think it probably probably does, Patricia, in a roundabout way. I mean, one of the big problems long term is the sugar effect. Sugar will react with protein and damage the proteins and proteins lose their function. And we do have a lot of protein in our brains, part of the nerves and the neurotransmitters. But that would be more of a kind of a long term issue. I think probably what happens is that your cells are not getting the glucose that they need for energy. And our brain needs glucose more than any other cells in the body. Our other cells can burn fat as a fuel, but our brain is not very good at that. Our brain needs glucose to function. So if you're unable to get the glucose into the brain cells, that would definitely make you forgetful, losing concentration. And some people will be more prone to it than others. Like some people can go all day without eating nutrition and it doesn't affect them. And some people, if they skip a meal, they'll get cranky and unfocused and headachey. So that, again, is part of the problem is that the cells are not getting the energy that they need. Okay, let's uh, take a look then at the foods that you should be avoiding. So the food that you should be avoiding, I think, are obviously all sugar and sugary foods because um, it's it's the increase in sugar. And certainly in terms of type 2 diabetes, it is the high sugar diet that can cause you to get it in the first place. But I would also say any simple carbohydrate. Now, a simple carbohydrate is one where the, the, the fiber has been stripped. So everything white. And if you really want to be serious about managing diabetes, you probably should cut out carbohydrates as much as possible. So that would be in, um, no bread, no pasta, no rice, no grains really whatsoever. And just a diet that's got good, healthy, lean meat, chicken, lots of fish and loads and loads of vegetables fruit, nuts and seeds. That would be a, a, an amazing diet. And actually, when I was saying you can reverse it in as little as six to eight weeks, that's the diet to follow to reverse it, is the no grains diet. Um, and it's one of the fastest ways to reverse type 2 diabetes. But if you do, and not everybody will function well on that diet, Patricia, because people will need some carbohydrates sometimes for energy. If you do have carbohydrates, everything should be brown. Whole grain rice, whole grain pasta, brown bread and every time that you eat one of those carbohydrates it should be with some protein so a piece of cheese or chicken or fish or meat or avocado or nuts bread or hummus or something proteiny and that'll help delay the gastroenteritis of it okay so that's foods to avoid what should you be including so the ones that would be the best for type 2 diabetes are fruits and vegetables really patricia but only two pieces of fruit a day these are full of plant chemicals that are really powerful little antioxidant machines in the body that will help prevent damage to any cells from the fallout of type 2 or type 1 diabetes. You need to aim for a rainbow of colours. So get the purples in with your berries and plums. Red cabbage is wonderful now this time of the year. 
Um, all your green um, leafy vegetables are amazing, full of loads of chemicals that are heart healthy and brain healthy. So put at least one to two uh, portions of spinach, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage. The yellow and red are fantastic as well, particularly to protect your eyes. They're full of lycopene and lutein. So you're looking there at your tomatoes, red peppers, apricots, turnips, anything yellow or red. Uh, fantastic. And a whole rainbow of colours on your plate at every meal. 50% of your plate should be vegetables or fruit. So that's 50%. a good guideline. Okay. 50%. But go easy on the fruit because of the sugars. Yeah, go. I think so, Patricia. I don't, and certainly nowadays our fruit has been bred to be very sweet. Um, you know, the if you, like a lot of children won't even eat Granny Smith's anymore now because they're so sour. We grew up on those. Yeah. They were sweet for us. But now we've got lots of more sweet varieties um, of fruits there. So I think there's quite a bit of sugar. Now, while you're still getting its natural sugar and you're still getting lots of vitamins and minerals in there, I don't think the focus should be on fruit. I think maybe two pieces a day is plenty and is healthy. And I think over that you're probably getting more sugar than benefit from the vitamins. But you can have as many vegetables as you want. And I know that it's the five-a-day thing that they put out there is kind of the health advice. But to be honest, it's eight, ten a day, really, Patricia, is what we need. Because a lot of these vegetables, anyway, they're not even grown in soil anymore. So we're just not getting the vitamins and minerals from them that we need to get. Okay, so talk to us about supplements then that can help. So the, one of the first supplements I'd recommend would be something like chromium, particularly for not, not for type 1 now, but for type 2 diabetes. With type 1, you're going to have to take your insulin and that's it. With type 2 diabetes, if you're trying to avoid going on medication... Chromium can help for the cells to become resensitized to insulin again. So it can help get the glucose into the cells. And you'll get a good chromium supplement in any health shop. Um, what else? The alpha-lipoic acid I've mentioned already. That would be for anybody who's got type 1 or type 2 diabetes as it protects the tiny little capillaries and the eyes. If you're starting to get cataracts, I would take a supplement with lutein in it. Um, again, you'll get that in any health shop. In fact, a lot of pharmacies have it because people with macular degeneration will take it. Um, the omega-3 fats are a great one, Patricia, if you don't like oily fish because, um, again, they do a number of different jobs. They're powerful anti-inflammatories. They are very good to keep the capillaries um, healthy. They kind of help. We, we put fats into our cell membranes, Patricia, to kind of help conductivity and waterproof them, I suppose, in an effect. And to have the fish oil, the omega-3 fats in those cells keeps them beautifully flexible and very responsive. So that, again, will increase your response time to insulin. So I think they would be the basics. And then if you've got other health issues, I mean, if you've got, um, you know, low energy, the B vitamins and magnesium can help you get over that hump until you get your diet under control. Okay, and Mary and Bandon has been on on different topics. Says, what did Annalise recommend two weeks ago for somebody with a broken bone? You've been talking yourself about having a broken bone and that you'd taken a supplement that it helped. Oh yes, I drank the Doctor Dealish Clare um, bone tea, which has something in there called knit bone. It's um, it's also I think it's also comfrey. Um, that comfrey is the same herb. Gosh, I'm actually doubting myself now, Patricia. Okay. Anyway, the the common name for it is knit bone. I do think it's the comfrey herb. And if you drink that in a tea, it helps. You need vitamin D to absorb calcium. You need vitamin C to build a healthy bone for the collagen matrix. But you need something like knit bone to be able to get all those bits and pieces together and put them on the bone 
to kind of make the bone strength strong and healthy again. So you can rub in comfrey as a cream or an oil onto the general area, but to take it in a tea, if you can take it in a tea, it's much better. Okay, and Mary says, could you ask Annalise, can sea salt be used as table salt as I use it for cooking, but I use low salt due to blood pressure and diabetes? I'm, I'm a bit confused there by that. Yeah, the low salt is something, um, it's potassium instead of sodium iodide. Okay. So um, it kind of replaces, you still get a salty taste from it, but it doesn't, um, it, it, it's not the same as sodium in terms of increasing blood pressure. Yeah, sea salt is a great alternative, Patricia, because it's got the broad spectrum of different minerals in there. Get a good quality one. You don't want that sea salt coming from, you know, a a place that's just off a big port or anything like that. So pay good money for the Atlantic Irish sea salt or um, the Malden sea salt can be another good one as well. They don't tend to be as, as polluted. And you'll get magnesium, calcium, potassium and sodium chloride in it. So you get a full range of them. And actually, there is a theory out there that actually blood pressure is just an imbalance of electrolytes because we take too much sodium from our food and we don't have enough of the other electrolytes. And to actually take something like um, a grain of sea salt with a glass of water five to six times a day will help your blood pressure naturally rebalance itself. So that could be something to try. Um, Like a lot of people as well will start suffering tiredness and cramps from following a too low salt diet. So we do need to have some and sea salt is the best way to okay. get it into you. All right, well, that's where we leave it for today and indeed for this year because uh, they will be Christmas Eve this day next week. So thank you for all your contributions throughout the year and we look forward to chatting to you again in the new and year. Thank you and happy Christmas Patricia to you and all the listeners. Many happy, happy returns. Indeed. Thanks a thank million. Bye bye. Annalise Drussell there from the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Ballincollig. She is a mine of information and she'll be back with us in uh, 2019. That's where I leave you for today with a reminder to make sure you're joined our way tomorrow because more of the Nathan Carter tickets to give away. Somebody says Nathan Carter is playing in Bandon Church tonight. Can't wait to see him, says a texter. We'll have more tickets to give away uh, tomorrow. That's why I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.